Welcome to Sons of a Gun, a podcast about the DCU. I'm Alex Gunn. I'm Pete. And our third brother, Justin Gunn, is dealing with our celebrity father, who's a real bear lately, I gotta tell you what. We don't know how to say who he is, we don't want to blow up his spot or anything like that, but... I think you can figure it out. Anyway, this episode, we are going to kick off our ramp-up to The Flash, which is coming out a little later this year. Now, The Flash, to say up front, I think this is a movie we're a little trepidatious about. We're a little concerned about what directions this is going to go in. But at the same time, there's lots of stuff to talk about, and there's lots of stuff to delve into as we get closer and closer to that movie. There's a lot of other movies to watch. There are books to read, like Flashpoint we're probably going to revisit at some point. Uh, what? Not one of our favorite books, but uh, important to read. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm making make- Justin do that one. <laughs> he might be stealing, dealing with our dad, who's been like on multiple press tours for big movies. Again, don't want to say who he is. Don't want to blow up his spot or anything like that. But he's been, Justin's really been guardian, guardian him. Uh, from uh, anyway, wow. I'm not gonna. I, uh, I'm, I'm getting a little too close. You guys might be able to figure it out from this. Anyway, this episode we're gonna kick it off talking about Batman, the original, not exactly the right. original, because wow. we'll have at least one person call us out and be like, "You mean the 1966 version?" That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the one that was released on June 23rd, 1989, directed by Tim Burton, screenplay by we were Sam Hamm. For that. What? Yeah. Well, I want to talk about that in a second, but screenplay by Sam Hamm and Warren Scarin, story by Sam Hamm. Now, because this podcast is all about ramping up for James Gunn's DCU, people probably know this anyway. You've seen the trailers, but Michael Keaton is back as Batman in the Flash movie. Oh, sorry. Spoilers, Pete. But uh, so I figured we'd start with this. We kick it off with what really kicked it all off, Batman 1989, and I definitely want to talk about your impressions. I have specific impressions of it, but just in terms of a historical context, if you look at it, this was a big thing for superhero movies. You know, they had been... It was a huge budget for the time. Huge budget. Oh, uh, Pete, by the way, we should mention, watched a video on 30 facts of Batman before this, but didn't make it through all the facts. So you're probably going to drop some facts. Hey, you know what's fun about doing something with you is how you, there's no fucking boundaries with you. You blow up my spot. I talked to you for two seconds before we turn this fucker on and you use my words against me. I'm not using it against you. I'm just excited. No, I mean, hold on. Hey, hey, hey. Let's just be very clear about this. One, I'm very excited to hear your facts. Two, I'm excited to find out when your facts end. Like, if you got up to 20, and then maybe I know the 21st. Let's see what's going to happen I'm not going to say shit, for man. Example, Sorry for this trying is to be hold on, this prepared is for a fucking podcast where we're talking about a movie, all right? Here's Sorry. a fact. I don't know if they covered this, and this is something I was very surprised to learn re-watching this movie for the podcast. Bruce Wayne, I think, is Batman. Pete. Did you pick up on that? Did you notice that? Did they have that in the video? Was that fact number 29? Did you not get there? <laughs> oh, the slow, the slow bad drink. So what I was going to talk about historically with this is uh, before this superhero movies, 
very cheesy. Obviously, I don't want to get too much into the continuity of the Superman movies, which I think is something that is really fascinating in terms of how those are produced. But you have a pretty serious take on Superman with the first movie. Second movie splits half and half between what the director wanted, Richard Donner, and what the producers wanted. And from there, it went to very goofy movies with Superman 3, and particularly Superman 4, which came out before this Batman movie in 1989. Now, following up on this directly, we did have the next year, Darkman, which is another very serious take on superhero movies, followed by another one that I am forgetting. I probably should have written this down. But the big thing about it is uh, basically after Batman and Batman Returns, you got this gap until Blade in the 90s really brings it back to the way we as comic book fans think about uh, superhero movies. They're not goofs. I think there was a Punisher movie in, in between there somewhere. This was around, That was around the same time, the Dolph yeah. Lundgren one, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are Dolph you Lundgren. saying that is a serious comic I haven't movie? seen that since uh, I was a kid, and I doubt it holds up very well, but I remember thinking it was cool when I was little. Well, we'll definitely rewatch it for this DC rewatch podcast. <laughs> but, but yeah, around that time, you had a lot of goofy stuff. You had the goofier Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies coming out as well. So, watch yourself. Well, honestly, they though, were like cool. they were not treated seriously. And even going into Batman, uh, there were a lot of goofy takes that they wanted to do here. They wanted to make it like Batman 66. There were talks about having Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy in this movie at one point when Ivan Reitman wanted to do it. Talks but, of Mel Gibson being Batman. Yeah. And it's funny that this is taken as a serious take on Batman. When you've got Tim Burton directing and you got Michael Keaton as the star. Now, Michael Keaton had done dramatic work before, but he was mostly known publicly as a comedic actor coming into this. And in fact, I was surprised to learn this. I, I vaguely remember this like from my child brain back at the time, but there were letters and campaigns to get Michael Keaton taken off the movie because people felt, no, this is not what we want out of a Batman movie. They were like, Michael Keaton is gung ho. He is, you know, Beetlejuice. He is Mr. Mom. He's very funny. He's also little and, and not the kind of frame that people wanted for Mm -hmm. uh, Batman. Yeah. So they send in lots of letters back in the day. That was the tweets, you know, you had to, Right, right before letter. before tweets, those are yeah. the and I still mail my tweets to people. Oh, that's I, nice. I tweet them out and then I print them out and then I mail them to people, mostly my parents. And they're like, "Why are you wasting your time on this?" I'm like, "Mom, Dad, just read it. It's a funny joke about the Oscars from a couple of weeks ago." <laughs> but the other thing that I, I think is pretty interesting about this, just from a comic book perspective, and we're going to kind of I think bounce around a little in history talking about this before we get to our impressions of the movie, which. Uh, you rewatched it right before this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, me too. Uh, so just checking. Probably should have done that off camera. Yeah. <laughs> what? I'm not trying to call you out, Pete. It seems like you're digging I'm for really dirt. I'm really mad. I'm having a conversation with my friend about uh, one of my favorite movies. So I'm excited to talk to you. Anyway, from a comic book perspective, though, Batman also wasn't treated very seriously in the comics until right before this, until you had uh, Frank Dark Miller Knight. doing, yeah, Dark Knight Returns and Batman uh, Year One. I was about to say Batman Begins. So there were, and I remember this, you know, I, I don't know what your experience was, but like I started off reading DC and Marvel comics 
And I was instantly drawn to Marvel Comics. Like, I was like, Chris Claremont era X-Men, that's my thing. I love this. I immediately glommed onto it. And the Batman and Superman stuff, like the DC stuff at the time, was a little goofier. Like, I very specifically, and somebody could probably let me know what issue this is, but I very specifically remember this cover of Batman fighting a crocodile on the front. And I was like, this is silly. This is sillier than the stuff that Marvel's doing. I'm not into it as much. What was yeah, your experience? I, I would have seen that cover and been like, cool, because I was into <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and uh, I love stuff like that. So Yeah, that uh, is a green thing in the sewer. It's very similar. Very similar. Uh, also, Batman uh, teams up with the turtles sometimes. Anyways, uh, I want to kind of talk about also what was interesting was in the casting, Nicholson wasn't originally going to say yes, but then they offered it to Robin Williams, not as a real offer, mm. but to get Jack to say yes, which he did do. And then Williams was so mad that he was like, when they asked him to be the Riddler instead of Jim Carrey, he was like, go after yourself. It is really fascinating, and I don't want to blow up the spot too much in terms of impressions of the movie, but it's really fascinating how, like, there's so many things that should not have worked about this movie, down to the another thing that we haven't mentioned is Tim Burton could care less about superhero movies. Like, he has no interest in them, was very public about it, going, and he's like, yeah, I don't care. He liked the idea of two freaks fighting each other, but... My as much as I love the Batman movies, the even back in the day, I can remember back in 1989 being like, well, this isn't really a Batman movie. This is is a Joker movie like Joker is amazing in this. And then Batman kind of like walks around sometimes is like, oh, I don't know. But oh, come on, dude, don't. Well, but all I'm saying is that like that and then we're going to talk about Batman Returns at some point. You could see where Tim Burton is just more interested in the villains and the weirdos and the freaks, and that's his thing. And he tries to push towards that with Batman and tried to understand it, but where everything really pops is where he's working with the Joker and he's telling the Joker's origin story and laying all that stuff out. So there's a lot of things that don't work there. The one big thing that did work, and we've talked to him quite a bit back in the day, mostly at Comic-Cons, but Michael Uslin is a producer of the movie. He is the guy, and people probably know this, you've seen about every documentary about this movie and any Batman movie. He was the guy who basically was like, hey, Batman could be taken seriously. It doesn't need to be a goof. There's something that we love about this character. Going back to the origins of the vigilante days, like way back, just original costume hero style that people love, and we can bring that out in a movie. And... Uh, This is a fact I didn't know until I was looking up. I don't know if it was on your video, Pete, but he uh, he wrote something that was essentially like Dark Knight Returns, but five years before Dark Knight Returns. That was his original treatment for a Batman movie that he tried to sell around to be like, this is serious. We can do this seriously. And everybody was like, we don't want that. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to see a movie like that. They want a goof. Batman 66 is fun. They probably didn't call it Batman 66 back at that point, but that's what they wanted. And then ultimately they were able to announce it at a Comic-Con. They were like, we're doing this. And Warner Brothers was like, all right, I guess if you're doing it, we already did the Superman movie. So why don't we do this Batman movie as well? So in a lot of ways, this is a movie that shouldn't have happened and almost didn't happen. And then beyond that, when they were making the movie, there was a writer's strike going on. So they basically had to like rejigger the movie on the fly 
due to a bunch of different demands from the studio, from Tim Burton, from Jack Nicholson being like, no, I got to go see Lakers games. You got to make times for my Lakers games. I can't be here on set for this. So, so many things went into this movie. So really it's a miracle that it happened is I guess what I'm getting at here. Yeah. I mean, it's a miracle. Any of us survived the eighties. It was a crazy time. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, well, you were I, hepped up on fun dip at that point, right? Pete? Oh my God. I was so, I was so on, uh, I had a fun dip problem. I had a real problem. You still have a fun dip problem. Let's be hey, honest. Shut up, man. I can stop anytime I want. <laughs> I'm an adult. It's okay if I buy fun dip now. Uh, no, I think it, I want to kind of talk a, a lot about the positives and some of the interesting things on the rewatch for me was the fact that. Well, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I know you're jumping into it, but before we get to the rewatch, we touched on this a little earlier. I want to get your original impressions because I know. I can picture in my head exactly where I was when I first saw Batman. Ooh, really? You remember the theater and everything? Absolutely. I mean, it was, and this is like in my young movie watcher brain, this was such a seminal thing to me because even though I was more of a Marvel guy at this point than a DC guy, I was still so excited. I'd seen the trailers. I remember being like, oh, wow, that looks like Batman on screen. And it was at the one movie theater that we had in Port Washington where I grew up. I remember when we would go to see movies, we'd go see movies all the time because my parents loved going to see movies and they loved taking us to movies that like the poster was in the lobby. And I remember walking by it and being like, hmm, that's the premiere date, June 23rd, 19. Okay. Okay. That's what is coming out. That's what is coming out. And then one of my friends, and this is the first time that it happened, had a movie birthday party. And it oh, got invited to a movie. They still do that to this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I know they still do this. But this is the first time. No, like, we talking about the, you. Yeah, I, I do. I love doing that. I love movies. I was just in a movie before we were taping this podcast. That's oh how much God. I love You them. have a problem. I do. It's like your fun dip problem, exactly, man. Exactly. I can stop anytime I want. It doesn't but I don't seem want like to. It. I don't want to stop. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah, it was just, it was the first but, time. Well, hold on. I'm almost done. It's not actually even much of a story, but it was just like. I can so picture the lobby. We saw it the Friday night it opened. Everybody was blown away. I can picture us all like walking out of the lobby and being blown away by like not just the Batman movie, not just by the movie birthday, but also I think this is the first time like I at least I can remember seeing a movie opening night. And uh-huh. in my head, I still can get that feeling in my gut of being like, Oh yeah, this is a Batman movie opening night. That's a big deal. And so having that feeling of seeing a superhero movie that means so much to me, meant so much to me and still means so much to me on the opening night, that's something that stuck to me. And the first time I really felt that was seeing Batman. Wow. What about you, Pete? Sorry for trying to interrupt that story. No, no, no. It's very touching. I, uh, I wasn't uh, allowed uh, to go see movies yet at that age. Um, but I remember the first time I watched it at a friend's house. I also remember like people stealing, uh, posters and stuff mm-hmm. like, because everybody, that symbol, it was like a newer symbol and it was very cool looking. Uh, I remember when people started wearing the t-shirts, it became like a huge phenomenon after this movie. And, uh, yeah, there was like. Uh, they said that the marketing had to keep <laughs> sending posters because people would steal them from the trains and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, the movie theaters and stuff. So, uh, yeah, it started a kind of a there was 
a lot of people were talking about it uh, before it even happened. So there was it was kind of one of the the first times there was kind of like a fever pitch around something that I that was on my radar. Um, but yeah, I I just uh, I just remember just thinking everything was so cool as a kid the first time mm-hmm. I saw it. Like it just like oh my god, and it all seemed. Um, you know, it's so re- real. I mean, it's weird to say now, mm-hmm. but at, at the time, I thought I didn't pick up on the animation parts, <laughs> right? Or you know, uh, a lot of the different stuff. But man, I, I just like that was the coolest Batmobile I've ever seen, and like you know, that was just yeah, there was just a lot of uh, uh, cool things to like about it as a kid. I mean, the, you know, Tim Burton really kind of. You know, I didn't know that I liked Tim Burton movies. Like, I know mm-hmm. that, like, Beetlejuice was fun, but I, I was so young, I wasn't like, oh, right, another Tim Burton flick. You know what I mean? I'm excited for the pictures of creepy trees that he loves, you know. Uh, but it was still, it was such a kind of like, as a kid, I still felt like it was such a unique style to it. Then I was just like, oh, my gosh, Gotham looks so crazy. Well, I think that's the almost the biggest thing about it, even beyond any of the actors or anything like that, is that it felt like you're seeing Gotham City on screen. You have it doesn't necessarily look like the Gotham from the comics and it wasn't meant to. It was supposed to be a mishmash of a different bunch of different metropolises and different places that people lived. And it was supposed to be like it was stuck together from a bunch of different cities. But it really channeled Tim Burton's gothic sensibilities and put him into this Batman world in a way where it felt like, yeah, this is a real city. This is Gotham City on the screen that we're visiting. And that he, yeah, he loved those like building shots, Mm -hmm. like the going up the very tall building uh, kind of moments. It was funny how much he loved. I love those too. I still love those. (laughs) I think that uh, the the one thing, not the one thing that's unimpeachable, but things that still get me when I'm rewatching the movie now, if we want to transition into that, is yeah. like definitely those shots, the hero shot. By the way, we're obviously we're going to do spoilers. We assume people have seen this before, but and we'll talk at the end of the podcast about what potentially this means and what we could take away from this for the Flash movie and the future of the James Gunn universe, etc. But the that hero shot at the end of the movie of him standing there with the bat signal mm-hmm. uh on that's so iconic and every single superhero movie since that has done pretty much that exact same shot. I mean in the fact ways. that he flew out of his way just to kind of go up to the moon and then mm-hmm. come back down was like kind of took a time out in the middle of a super important part of the movie there for a cool like shot of the moon and my bat uh thing that's gonna be the signal oh, yeah. later. That too. The all of that stuff, though. Like, I I think there's things that err on the wrong side, certainly. But for the most part, you're not. It. it this sounds like fake praise, but I really mean this is praise. It doesn't come through the Tim Burton hates superhero movies because it feels on the right side of goofy. Like it's not making fun of the fact that Batman is in a bat suit. It's supposed to be scary for people when they see Batman. They're like, oh, it's a giant Batman. That's a scary thing that's happening here. Yeah. Or things like the bat symbol. They're goofy when he flies into the mood, but at the same time, it looks cool. It's fun. Yeah. It feels comic booky. It feels like a panel from a comic book when you're looking at it. But the other thing that I was going to mention that still completely 100% works to this day uh, is Danny Elfman's score. 
the Batman score. Like, well, that's what I also want to get into as well. It's yeah. like Batman, the animated series just took so much from this. Mm-hmm. Like well, I it, didn't, I didn't really put that together until I rewatched this oh, really? and then was like, Holy crap. I mean, mm-hmm. there is the score, the music score is exactly the same. I was like, for a second, I was like, wait a second, who ripped off who here? And then I was like, oh my God, this is, uh, they modeled it after this. And it makes sense. It was such a huge hit. I mean, I even remember liking the Prince song mm-hmm. uh, that go, uh, go uh, that like took lines from the movie, you know, that was just like, oh my God, this is. First time I've seen anything like that. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, let's come back to the Prince of it all, like, because I think that's kind of interesting to talk about as well. But just while we're talking about Batman and the animated series, yeah, oh, yeah. all I was going to say about that, and please, again, don't take exception to this, but rewatching this time, I was really struck by, yeah, Batman the animated series is the refined version of this movie. Like, if this was sort of the template of, eh, some yeah. of the elements don't quite work all together, they're figuring it out in different ways and trying to figure out how to make it work. And like we've been talking about, there's a lot of clashes and different opinion on set and behind the scenes. But Batman the animated series is like, what's the best things about this? Daddy Elfman's score, this gothic look for Batman, taking Batman pretty seriously. He has a wild rogues gallery. Let's take that, put that on TV, but make it work the way we comic book fans know it can work and make it perfect. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 feel of Gotham very much is taken. The car is also very mm-hmm. much uh, uh, taken. Even the kind of style of Alfred. There was so many things that I was just like, oh, my God, like even – uh, Jack's Joker is very similar to, uh, you know, um, Mark, Mark Hamill's Hamill. Joker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In yeah. my mind, I was like, uh, "Don't call him a Jedi." This isn't, you know, I had to go through all. <laughs> Joker still drinks a lot of blue milk, though, right? Like, there's all those super, super into that weird mm-hmm. blue milk, man. Yeah, gotta drink that Joker milk. Love that yeah. Joker milk. Oh my god, that whole thing. Like the commercials in the middle of this mm-hmm. movie were hysterical and creepy in so many interesting kind of stylized ways. This whole like the choice of like homicidal artist was such a crazy thing to mm-hmm. uh, rewatch and kind of uh, get a sense of this Joker and Jack's choices about this Joker. And like uh, just was so I had like a, not that I forgot about the the effect of like yeah but it was just such a uh crazy because the joker movie now is such a kind of hot button topic and such has all these kind of like creepy uh, uh things going on to kind of see this kind of first iteration of it that was bright but also dark it was such an interesting kind of crystallization that i think really kind of changed the lampstick for joker Oh, I mean, absolutely. I think Heath Ledger, when he was doing Joker, is looking back at Jack Nicholson's work and being like, what worked here? What could I do different? How could I channel a different character? And then, you know, whatever you think about Joaquin Phoenix, same sort of thing. Like, they're all working off of each other. They're all aware of each other and their different performances and riffing off them in different ways. But just here, like I was saying earlier... I recently, I watched this movie, uh, we watched all the Batman movies with my kids a couple of months back because they were super interested in them. And I 
had completely forgotten how good Jack Nicholson's performance is. Like, I, I knew how it. How could you forget that? Well, I knew it intellectually, but over time, seeing other people do Joker, lots of other Batman movies, it had certainly been a while since I had seen Batman, this Batman before uh, or again. And it's just, he's he's giving it his all. He's given 1,000% in every single scene. Um, even, you know, it's a Jack Nicholson performance, but he blends perfectly with what they need out of the Joker. He's insane. He's terrifying. He's funny in an uncomfortable way. He's everything you want out of the Joker. Yeah, I mean, the the... Some of his bits, like on paper, seem so done, like, dumb. Like in the middle of a fight, he puts on glasses. And he's like, you wouldn't hit somebody in glasses, would you? Mm-hmm. You know, like seems so dumb. But though he pulls it off in this kind of like, oh, I mean, it's it's really crazy. Some of the lifting that they had to, both of them had to do kind of like, I have forgotten about Michael Keaton's kind of, you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. Why does he do that? I don't know why he does that. Uh, let's talk about Michael Keaton in a second, just to kind of yeah. like finish it up about Jack Nicholson here, though. Yeah, so many amazing things that he does in this role. I think one thing that I also remembered rewatching this time, that even as a young chap watching it the first time, is that final fight just doesn't work exactly. You know, like they're not a physical match and Batman beating the shit out of Joker on a bell, Joker dying. Those are things that just even back in the day never really sat right with me. And I think so creepy though, when he's like dead in the pavement and the, the little laugh thing is still happening. Yeah. That like stuck with me as a kid, like that creepy laugh really stuck with me. Well, it's also an interesting thing to think of and not that superhero movies, even in the intervening decades have shied away from killing villains. One of my least favorite things, because keep them around. They're interesting. Let's see more of them. Right. But the original appearance of Joker in the comic books, he was supposed to die. Like he died. There's a final panel. I think it's in the first issue. I think it's Batman number one. If I remember correctly, there's a second story that introduces the Joker and the last panel has him being taken away in an ambulance. And the original line was something like, well, he's dead. (laughs) And then an editor at the last second before it went down to print, was like, um, let's change it to, I think I hear a pulse. And because of that, the Joker is alive. The Joker is one of the most popular comic book characters of all time. And it's, it, it's interesting to me to think about that the, you sort of have that parallel thing here with this movie of they kill the Joker. I think in a more modern movie, if you look at the impact the Joker has had over the course of cinema and TV and everything, if this Batman movie had come out 20, 30 years later, they would have made a very different choice with the Joker at the end of the movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that that's for sure. It's just, um, yeah, yeah, it's just... It's it's an iconic uh, character for sure, uh, and it's 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 just also such a interesting match for Batman. You know what I mean? Of like this kind of like person who feels like he can save people and do the right thing, and like this guy who just is all about chaos and just kind of madness. So it, they they work really well together on a lot of different levels. And also seeing what people bring to this iconic thing is also, it's also so very interesting. Well, let's talk about Batman, though, because that's kind of the whole point of talking about this. Pete, uh, Batman. 
what did you think about Michael Keaton, particularly on this rewatch? Yeah, I mean, I uh, this was my uh, Batman, you know. So uh, Michael Keaton to me just is uh, Batman. He's also Beetlejuice. Uh, he can be a number of different things, but to me, like uh, just as <laughs> he's a always kid, been Mister Mom for me. But go uh, ahead. well, hey, you know, everybody's got their deal. I just think it's um, you know his kind of like struggle with the way he was like, couldn't say I'm Batman to her, you know, mm-hmm. the the way he like, she goes to Vicky Val. Yeah, yeah. And he's just like, I'm Batman. I'm Batman. Like the, the, the showing the flaws in Bruce Wayne, uh, I've, I felt like was so cool. And so, uh, made me kind of connect with this character who on paper is a billionaire and an asshole and a lot of different things, but, when played right can be uh, more interesting. So I don't know. Like I, I just, uh, I just thought that Michael Keaton did such an amazing job of being able to pull off with the mask on and with the mask off uh, in such an interesting and different kind of way where he wasn't, you know, like he relied more on gadgets. It's kind of like a James Bond talk where it's like some of the smaller James Bonds, you know, have to use gadgets more versus the tougher, you know? So, um, but uh yeah i just thought uh overall it was such a cool batman and you know liked the fact that joker also respected his toys and loved them because as a kid i was like i want all of these toys i want a batarang i want a grappling hook mm-hmm. you know so you're like where does he get these wonderful toys and then you followed it up with toys are us hey <laughs> mom take me <laughs> mama mama Uh, Yeah, this is and I think this is probably our difference of opinion here. I love Michael Keaton and I love Michael Keaton in this role. I don't know if he's ideally what I'd want out of a Batman necessarily, um, but I love watching him here. Like I he like you're saying, there's so many charming moments, particularly with the Vicky Vale stuff. Uh, Kim Bassinger did a really good job coming in very late into the production. She's a good addition to it. But uh, all of those scenes, like the singer, Basinger, sure. Yeah. There we go. Uh, but <laughs> sorry, the scene where he introduces himself at the party and he's walking behind her and Alexander, oh my Oshkog god, and Robert Wool, yeah, Arliss sort of standing there. I was like, Arliss is in this. I forgot Arliss, Arliss is, is in it. it. Yeah. yeah, come on. Uh, that's a great scene. That's so funny. The scene where they're going on their first date and they're sitting on the absurdly long table together and trying to talk about the yeah, soup, the salt. And the soups do, yeah. and yeah, can yeah. pass the salt. Just very funny, down to earth moments throughout. And Michael Keaton is so good at those. He's so good at that humor, at being relatable. Again, not necessarily what I see in Bruce Wayne, my, I think. I mean, one of my favorite lines is like, Oh, that's Japanese. How do you know? Because I bought it in Japan. <laughs> it was just like there was, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do this. You know, he's like, uh, I yeah, also liked how he was kind of, you know, like he was kind of thrown off by Vicky Vale, you know, where he, you know, he's like, I'm looking for Bruce Wayne. He almost doesn't have words, you know, so. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was a lot of different things. I mean, unfortunately, it was also made in the eighties, so you know there's problematic stuff as well. But I I just think that, um, I you know some people I believe more with the cape on mm-hmm. or the cape off, and you know I felt like he did both very well. So 
Yeah, I think he here's the base that everybody else is working off of. Uh, you know, nothing against Adam West or any of the other people that played before him, but Michael Keaton is definitely like the baseline, I think, because he was this iconic Batman in this movie and then again in Batman Returns. So again, we'll get and talk about sort of the future stuff in a second, but... Uh, I think it's the same thing with Batman, where maybe he's not my favorite Batman under the costume, but he does a good job. Like, he makes... It's all playing in your eyes and your chin, and that's all you got to play with. He can't even turn his head in that costume or anything, which is insane that they built it that way, but that's what they did. And he does... He makes all that stuff work. I, I think... I was joking about this a little bit earlier, and it's always a little bummer, bit of a bummer to me to watch this movie. And because of the way the suit is built, the fights are much in terms of fights. Like it's sort of him walking up to somebody and being like, punch, 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 I'm a rock and sock and robot. And then shooting his uh, batarang. All right, all right. I know what you're saying, but it's not that bad. I mean, it was funny because I felt like that one punch, backwards punch they put in there because mm-hmm. it's like it's the only punch he can really do that doesn't <laughs> yes. seem so awkward in the suit. And I do think they had to work around that. There was kind of like the fun moments uh, and I don't know who did it first, whether it was Indiana Jones or Batman, where it's like the guy's doing this elaborate thing. You know, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones just shoots him, but Batman just kind of like kicks him in the head. And I was like, ah, oh! you know, rewatch that. And mm-hmm. I was like, it's because he can't move. But at the time, <laughs> I thought it was like such a cool, like uh, badass kind of thing to do where, you know. Somebody has two swords coming at you and you kick him in the face. I will mention one big problem. This has nothing to do with Michael Keaton or the performance. And this is true of almost every Batman movie. I hate how many people Batman actively kills in this movie. That I find very upsetting, particularly, you know, I I always remember that he sort of let people fall (laughs) to their deaths, which I don't like anyway. But there's this scene in the movie where he finds out where Jack Napier is making the chemicals, goes to the Ace Chemical plant. There's a bunch of people inside. He proceeds to shoot everything up and then blow up the whole place. And you're like, you just actively were like, I'm going to murder people. Yeah. And I don't, I don't love that. He didn't do it. He made the Batmobile do it. You know? Oh, okay. All right. It was the Batmobile's fault. Well, it's not. I mean, he's controlling the Batmobile, but it was interesting mm-hmm. that, you know, the Batmobile did all of that damage and he was waiting outside. Well, it's the same way that I I feel about it the same way where chat GPT was the one that made all those racist jokes. Not me. You know, it wasn't me prompting chat GPT to do it. It was the A.I. Okay, well, I don't get that reference. I apologize. <laughs> no, it's not a good joke. I'll cut it out or something. I'm not going <laughs> to cut it out. I don't, I don't know any of these. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think that's been a problem that's been pretty consistent through all of the Batman movies, and I really don't like it. Even the Christian Bell movies are just like, we don't use guns. We don't kill people except for what I do. I'm going to shoot people, but I, we don't do that. The only one who, who got it right, Robert Pattinson. That's the only movie where he's actively like, I don't use guns, I don't kill people, I don't let people die, and that to me, that's Batman. All right, that, that we don't that we don't need you on your soapbox talking about how great the newest Batman movie is. Okay, yeah, and whatever Batman movie gets released next, that's going to be the best Batman. Oh my god, um, recency bias to the extreme. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> take it take it down a notch. I mean, this is 
like so many kind of like iconic things came out of this movie, right? I mean, the the Prince song was huge. The fact that we got the line "I'm Batman," you know, in such a kind of like mm-hmm. badass way, uh, you know, there was just uh, some real. I uh, just like go and watching. I was like, oh crap! I they really so many. You know, the animated stuff, you know, came from here. There was this stuff. This movie got mined. Mind for gems, for sure. 100%. Absolutely. Uh, this is such a little thing that I wanted to mention that I forgot about until not this past rewatch, but the rewatch before that with my kids. The thing where everybody thinks the cosmetics have been infected with this Joker solution and turning everybody into Jokers, when they cut back to the news people reporting on it, uh, and they're just frizzed out and their skin is terrible and everything. And they don't refer to it in any way. It's just them reporting the news, but they look awful. That's such a funny visual joke. I, I That made me laugh out loud when I saw it. And I thought it was so well played. And that's the sort of humor that plays really nicely, both but, to Tim Burton's strengths and to the movies. But it's also such a great kind of, show don't tell moment where it's like okay if they're poisoning products these people are going to have to mm-hmm. stop using products and the people on tv use makeup and use those things so they look horrible is such a interesting and cool idea that i think is just so well played there i really just yeah i mean there's a lot of you know small things and and that really is impressive too because this Batman movie was made in the shortest amount of time than other mm-hmm. any Batman movie moving forward. Um, so it's impressive what they got done in such a short amount of time in this kind of pressure cooker of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we said we were going to talk about Prince music before we move on. And that is another wild thing that I think... If I remember correctly, it was Tim Burton said something like, yeah, I love Prince music. I don't know why we're putting it in this movie, but all right, let's go. Which originally, they wanted Michael Jackson. Oh, really? Be, I didn't yeah. know that. Interesting. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Prince uh, was the second call. Hmm. He he knocked it out of the park, I got to say. I mean, that, that whole... It's crazy to think about that museum art party man. Yeah. Yeah. Without that being a different song, but it was so, it's so great. And I also love the moment where he stops him from destroying that one painting because it's a little darker and kind Mm -hmm. of like, it seems like would fit the Joker's taste. Like Joker would be like, actually, I really like this one. It was just such a, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I will say, I also love Prince. I don't know that the songs make sense necessarily being in there with everything else that's going on, but I wouldn't take them out for anything because yeah. they're fantastic. And folks might remember this or maybe not, but this was there were, I think two albums that were released for this movie, Danny Elfman score, and then also a Prince album. And both yep. of them enormous hits, huge hits. And yeah. that, uh, you know, this has nothing to do with the story of the movies necessarily, but I think that really set the tone for a lot of the Batman movies too, because almost every Batman movie, you had this killer soundtrack, like absolutely amazing soundtrack. Batman forever was the one with kiss from a rose, right? Yeah. Was it? Yeah. 
great soundtrack. Every but every it was also this very band. interesting thing where like Prince was at a peak of popularity right at the time of Batman was, and they both kind of met in this movie, and it was very interesting. I mean, it just such an I mean, so many iconic things happening in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, know, again, like we said earlier, the presses, who is that Vicky Vale? You know, I mean, like these are things that are like sampled and mm-hmm. memed and, you know, TikTok all like all just. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I just liked you saying TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's all right. We're all t- uh, the am, yeah. uh, like we were saying. I, there's just this strange alchemy that made this movie work when it absolutely should not have. But let's talk about the future. Let's talk about where this is going in the DCU now. One place, unfortunately, it's not going. Michael Keaton filmed. Wait, the- wait. Before we we yes. talk about, the, I just want to say. You know, you uh, you had mentioned you know the people who died. Rewatching it, I forgot how much I hated when Bob died. When he shot Bob, oh, yeah. Bob was one of my favorite henchmen, mm-hmm. and he just shoots him. I was just like, oh my god! Sorry, okay, no, it's okay. Jack kills a lot of people in that. Wait, actually, before we move on, what do you think about the twist that Jack Napier is the guy who killed Batman's parents? I mean, when I was a kid and watched it, I was like, oh, my God, you know, but now I was like, you know, the one thing that I was really surprised about, and this is a trick of memory, is I always remember the, hey, ever dance with the devil of the pale moonlight thing that's introduced very late in the movie. Like surprisingly late. So only so that they can set up the scene of Thomas and Martha being killed in the alley where he says that again, so that Batman can remember that. And if I read my facts correctly, sorry, I read facts. I didn't watch a video. Uh, the, <laughs> the, that was added pretty late in the production, which maybe kind of explains that potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that also reminds me of one other thing that I wanted to mention that I has stuck with me in the intervening decades is uh, Jack Palance's performance as Grissom, the crime boss. I always, not always, but I have said too many times in my life, you're my number one guy. And then Jack, uh, you know, Joker doing an impression of him in the movie was, I didn't pick that up the first time mm-hmm. when I was a kid, but then that moment, I was just like, Great oh, my stuff. God. that's Yeah, uh, I love that actor in every role. I think of Tango and Cash uh, first with him, but I Tango and Cash is the first thing you think Jack Palance, not City oh Slickers? Or well, Curly, sure, but for me, Tango and Cash, he was such a creepy role with the rats where he would be like, Tango and Cash, and he was all creepy with the rats all over his face and stuff. I'll be honest, the first performance that I think of for Jack Palance is him doing uh, push-ups at the Oscars, which isn't you know, a role he had, but that's the first thing that I think of when I think of him. Okay, there you okay. Go. I'll try to twist my brain so it becomes Batman instead. Oh, yeah, and Billy D. Williams. Uh, oh, as, yeah, we didn't talk about Billy D. Williams. Like, Lando's in this? I mean, this yeah, thing is uh, slappers only. I mean, this is all A-list uh, for every role in this thing. I mean, I'll tell you what. We're not going to be talking about Batman forever on this podcast, but it is a bunch of garbage that Tommy Lee Jones, who is awful as Two-Face, got to do it instead of... Uh, Billy D. Williams, who absolutely should have gotten to keep playing uh, Harvey and become Two Face for the role. But, yeah. Oh well. uh, also, um, 
the Bob Kane moment in the mm-hmm. movie I'd forgotten about too, where he, they're kind of like holding up his art and it's got his symbol and everything right there. So I was mm-hmm. like, and this was before I, for the he longest, was originally recognized as a co-creator, you know? Yeah. I, uh, for years thought that was Bob Kane. Showing yeah, that me off. too. It's not yeah. Bob Kane. Nope. It's an no. actor, but it is a Bob Kane drawing, which is very cool. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we mentioned Arliss in the movie. Iconic character, reprised in Crisis on Infinite Earths. He came back there. So between this and Arliss, his legacy is complete. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The weirdest thing to me, I think this is in Batman Returns. There is a news reporter who shows up, and I guess we'll talk about this when we talk about that movie, but there's a news reporter who shows up who is not Robert Wool, but looks exactly like Robert Wool and uses the same cadences. It's very weird. It's definitely one of the Batman movies. Any other uh, notes you want to mention before we talk about future stuff? Yeah, I, I did also just want to talk about the... Um the 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 cops uh you know just kind of like the dirty cops and that mm-hmm. like those kind of actors and how like kind of like crummy uh they looked and kind of like sounded i was just like oh my god like you know none of them to me felt i was like you know cuz i wanted to see bullock or whatever he's kind of like an amalgamation of different ones but um yeah i just feel that like the casting and just kind of like the tone of uh of the kind of Gotham they created and the interesting casting choices they made really throughout was such a just kind of uh, well done, understated thing. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we talk about that future stuff that I was mentioning earlier? The one thing that Michael Keaton will not be appearing in because it's not going to be appearing anywhere is Batgirl, which got shelved by Warner brothers discovery as part of a tax thing that went on. He was, Actually, though, was supposed to originally reprise his role because The Flash was supposed to come out first. And I believe the original plan that Walter Hamada, who was leading Warner Brothers Discovery, had is that after The Flash, Michael Keaton was going to be the new Batman of the DCEU. He was going to be the new guy that comes in. Then he would be in Batgirl. He'd be in other things. I think there were reports of him doing a post-credits or mid-credits thing on Aquaman 2 as well. But a lot of those plans have been scrapped and changed as we have moved into James Gunn's DCU. We will sadly probably never be seeing Batgirl ever in our lifetimes, but we are going to see The Flash and we are going to see Michael Keaton in it. We've already seen a little bit of him in trailers. So what do you think about that, him coming back for this movie? I have a follow-up question I'm going to ask in a second, but are you excited about it? Are you nervous? What's your take, Pete? It's the only reason I'm going to see this movie. I mean, I don't like Flash. I don't like Flashpoint. Uh, So I was like, not going to see this movie. And then they were like, guess who's Batman again? (laughs) And I was like, oh, you've got me. I'm going. I'm going to go first day. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, that for me was a game changer, seeing him in the suit again. Uh, just, yeah, unbelievable. Well, let me throw something by you. Is Michael Keaton in the flash playing Bruce Wayne or Thomas Wayne? Oh, and for anybody who isn't totally familiar with why I'm asking this, right? There's a couple of different reasons that I think back this up. And they haven't said his name other than I'm Batman in the trailers. But 
in the original Flashpoint storyline, what happens is the Flash breaks the timeline. Spoilers line. for Flashpoint. Yeah, for the comic. But and for the it, movie, maybe. Potentially. Well, we'll get into potential spoilers for the movie, but I, I want to talk about both things. In the Flashpoint book, Flash breaks the timeline trying to save his mom's life, and in the process creates this alternate timeline. One of the things that happens there is Bruce got shot in the alley instead of Thomas and Martha. And it's revealed over the course of the series that Thomas has become Batman and Martha has become the Joker. And I'll, I'll tell you what, you know, we'll, we'll get into probably our mixed feelings about Flashpoint as a crossover when we talk about it. That's one of the things that worked. Like, it legitimately works. Thomas is a unhinged Batman, unfettered by the morality of not killing that Bruce Wayne holds on to because he lost his son, and then he lost his wife to madness when she became the Joker. So that's going on there. When you look at the movie trailer, I think there's further potential evidence for that, because what we're seeing in the movie trailer is we're seeing the Flash interact with his DCEU counterpart, specifically Ben Affleck is there, and Ben Affleck, as Batman, is like, hey, Ben, don't play with time travel. That's not a good idea. Please don't do that. Now, as a little asterisk note, and, you know, recastings happen or whatever, but in the DCEU, Thomas and Martha Wayne are played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Lauren Cohen, which we saw in a flashback in, I believe, Batman v Superman, if I remember correctly. So that's going on there. So technically, Thomas Wayne is Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Cool. Good guy. Good actor. But... As we see in the trailer, the Flash breaks the timeline still, goes to an altered timeline where his mom is alive, but everything else has changed. However, not everything has changed. It's still stuff that's happened to the DCEU. We see Sasha Kaye, I believe, as Supergirl has been trapped. She ended up on Earth instead of Superman, who they still kind of know exists. Zod, Michael Shannon, shows up and attacks the planet. So there's still stuff happening there. So my question in my mind is, wait, if this is just a different version of DCEU, why is Michael Keaton Batman instead of Ben Affleck? And potentially the answer comes to the comics, which is he's Thomas Wayne, not Bruce Wayne. So what do you think about that, Pete? Well, first off, that's fucking heartbreaking um, because for me, you know, the kind of tragedy that happened the alleyway, you know, because I've seen it so many times uh, from reading comics and, and watching TV and movies. Um, it's just so heartbreaking that his parents died. And then if he would have died, his parents would have had such a horrible turn of fate and drove each other away in such a way that one of them turns insane and turns into the Joker is, is something I don't want to think about and also live in for two hours. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So, like, I really hope that's not the case. I'm hoping uh, this flashpoint is a little bit of, like, hey, you know, you're creating a lot of different timelines and it's almost like a multiverse of madness where we get to see different Superman throughout time of like maybe you kind of open up a door and uh, there's a Superman or there's a Supergirl or there's a Batman and there's a Batgirl or, you know, whatever they're going to do. And that's what I'm hoping is just because, you know, everybody talks about how great it is when Batman is dark. But, I, I, I you know, when you go that dark on Flash, um, I don't know. I don't like my Flash dark. So... Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, that's, that's tough to, to see those two because Batman loved him so much and it was, was so robbed to see that the fact of like that switch turns them so poorly, it just, I, I, I have a hard time with it. Well, I will say, let me give a piece of evidence for it and then a piece of evidence against it, right? The piece of evidence for it is if the theme of the movie, the way that we're being sold it, is the Flash just wants to be his, bring his mom back, if consequently he has killed Thomas Wayne's son, you know, that's something that ties those two characters together and gets them to a place where, like, wait, we got to bring Batman back. We got to bring the real Batman back. So that could potentially be a driving force behind the movie if that happens. On the other end of the spectrum, and this is getting into the James Gunn stuff, we know they're going to have a new Batman. Ben Affleck is not going to be Batman. Michael Keaton is not going to be Batman. When they do the Batman and Son movie, Brave of the Bold, eventually down the line, it's going to be a different Batman in that DC universe. And we also know that The Flash feeds directly into whatever this new DC universe is going to be. So if he resets the timeline we're not going to get Ben Affleck back. That's not what's going to happen. So if you're that, just excited because your favorite Batman of all time, the most recent Batman is going to be in this movie. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, as soon as I see the flash, Michael Keaton's going to be my favorite Batman again, because that'll be the last Batman I saw. That's how bad my recency bias is. Okay, that's great news for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I guess my point here is that Michael Keaton could be Bruce Wayne, just like Ben Affleck is Bruce Wayne. And then at the end of this movie, we're introduced potentially to a third entirely different Bruce Wayne, Spider-Man No Way Home style. Any of that is possible. We'll have to see what happens. We don't know exactly what's going to happen in the, at this point of the movie based on two plus minutes of footage, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Uh, so there we go. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to support this podcast and all the podcasts, we do patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about DCU stuff. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the podcast at comic book live on Twitter and uh, at comic book club live on TikTok and Instagram, the TikTok, if you will. Oh, yeah, there we go. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. And, uh, hey, uh, Dad, take some breaks on the press tour, you know? Like, I know it's going to be very busy when you're guardianing everybody, but, like, just drink some water, you know? It's a busy time. Aw, you're such a good son. Aww.